I have an Earl Grey. Earl Grey for Jeremy? Yeah, that's me. Thank you so much. All right. So we're here today at Alos Cafe with uh, my friend Rafa. And uh, we're talking and going to have a conversation because, as we all know, we're trying to to have a discussion at the intersection of uh, technology and culture and theology and really understand just a bunch of different things that we've been talking about on previous episodes. But today we're talking about something that's kind of new and, and kind of out there because we're just starting to see some people experimenting and playing with this more popularly. I would say it's probably been happening for a little while now, but we're going to actually talk about AI today. So, Rafa, thanks for joining me. I know this is something you've been reading about and thinking about. So before we get started, let's just define some terms. How would you describe AI? So when I'm thinking about AI, I definitely like to think about it in terms of, uh, I think it's McLuhan's statement that, that all technologies are just extensions of ourselves. Correct. So when I think of computers, especially AI, I, I like to think of them as being um, an extension of our brains or rather a, a replica we're trying to imitate the processes that, that our brains take. Sure. So, so so an attempt at reproducing in some small way what a human mind or human intelligence can do. Um, and, and I would say that for me, it is an attempt at replicating it as best as our technology will allow us at the moment. Uh, what's interesting to me, though, is that most people have this picture of AI. So we say AI, and the picture that pops in their mind is well, we're going to talk about you know the Terminator, or we're going to talk about um, that really bad Steven Spielberg movie, uh, Not Great, um, which was I think it was partly Stanley Kubrick did part of that too. It was just a bizarre movie all around with the little kid and he's underwater later, and you're like, what is going on? But or, or we have all kinds of other images of you know this is what this is going to look like. Whether you're talking about like Star Trek, my dad used to love Star Trek, and Mr. Data, an android, that's an AI, an artificial intelligence, and I think. The reality for me is that an AI is actually scalable because it can be anything from an algorithm that's trying to make a decision process like a human. So it's just one simple application trying to make a decision based on what people chose to make a better decision every time it moves forward and learn. Ultimately, I think that's one of the key things for me about thinking AI is that it's trying to learn, but it's only trying to learn based on what we told it to look for and learn from. And so in that sense, that replication of how we think we learn at the moment is fascinating because it often reveals more about us than it actually does about the algorithm. Because we have a tendency to say, the algorithm did this or the AI did this. It's actually only doing that because you told it to. Somebody somewhere programmed it to do that thing. Uh, so we, we've we been starting to see a ton of other stuff, though, that's popping up because of it. You're having a conversation about AI art and, and seeing AI being implemented in marketing and communications to try and help make decisions. And parts of the problems are that like sometimes we don't catch things like bias that we put into it until much too late. So as you've been reading about it, what struck you in terms of thinking about artificial intelligence? You mean like what have I just found interesting? Yeah, yeah. what have you been reading on and thinking about? I, I think the part that most interests me is like how AI is going to impact humanity going forward in terms of like workforce. Mm-hmm. So like mm-hmm. when... When robots replace, you know, people flipping burgers mm-hmm. in McDonald's. Which won't be long. Which, yes. no, yeah, we're like two years I, it, tops Seriously, out of that. yes. Um, so start applying to jobs now, if you're listening. <laughs> New jobs. Well, well, let's be clear. If, you, <laughs> if, you, if you're a burger flipper, just know that they're probably going to move you to the front. Because what he's talking about is actually a real thing. There is actually right now a uh, company that's submitting for lease uh, at the rate of $3,000 a month a, a uh, robot that can both flip, uh, that can make french fries, 
make um, six different types of buffalo wings uh, and make onion rings and some other things. And it can do it all for $3,000 a month, which is about a 75% savings for the owners of a McDonald's type uh, over the amount of people that they would have to have there. Now, that doesn't mean don't worry. You're, you know, But, I mean, honestly, let's be clear. Do you want to flip fries, you know, pull a basket of fries? No, not really. Probably not. So at the same time, I'm okay with doing it. I recognize that more than likely, you're still going to have to have a human be the front-serving interface. So just be prepared to work the cash register, not necessarily... But the more you turn it into DoorDash, right. the, the robot could take over the front part, too, as long as everything was scanned and made sure it was accurate. Definitely. And part of it, too, is like robots will continue or, or different systems and techniques will replace like human jobs. Mm-hmm. And so we'll reach a point at which like our economy no longer functions the same way it does. And so what do you do like as, as the total population grows mm-hmm. um, with people who are now no longer employed? Or, or rather, there is no job available for them to do. Like, what will they do instead? And I think that um, if we do it right, the future could be a very beautiful, and I mean, like, visually and, like, sonically beautiful thing. Um, instead of, you know, just homeless people out and about on the street, I think it could be, like, communities of people that exist for no other purpose than to make art. Hmm. Because enough of our systems have been... Have been mechanized mm-hmm. yeah and, and and i will say that the standard for any type of technological innovation that leads to some you know grand transition in a, in a population tends to open up new jobs that were not there before as jobs so somebody you know i was having a conversation with someone and they were talking about self-driving cars and they said well what you're going to put all of the uber drivers and all the taxi drivers and even all of the truck drivers out of business and i said right but if you know, you didn't have to drive your car. Think about all of the wonderful new opportunities that are now available. For instance, if I got a self-driving car and I don't own a car because I don't need to anymore, one will just come pick me up because it's scheduled. Um, what if I could get a, you know, manicure and a pedicure on my way to, and somebody, that's somebody's job. They just literally pull up in front of you and you pay for the car and then you just pay for the service along top of it. All kinds of stuff. You do your tax accounting and it literally drives around. The one that I think is the most brilliant uh, that I've seen and actually people are doing, but it's not a self-driving car yet, is um, you runner, you bu- you ride bikes. I ride bikes, yeah. yeah. So, so there's a running store that literally does mobile fittings where they drive, you just tell them to come to your house, they drive up, they bring a whole stack of shoes, they know your size already, they do a fitting, let you try them out, and then you buy the shoes and they take off for the next appointment. Like, why couldn't you just mobile fit all, I mean, the car could be as big as a sprinter, why can't I do all my... Hey, bring me everything from this clothing designer and I can just try them all on and then take the two pieces I want and that's your day. There's all kinds of new jobs that pop up the moment that we take other jobs away. So there's this sense of uh, what does that look like? But I do agree in some ways that the because the question is always like, well, what jobs can't be replaced then? And I think there's two categories, but I want to hear you answer that question. What jobs do you think can't be replaced? Because you said art. So that's obviously something you think is probably not... Yes, and I definitely think that there's a place for artificial intelligence within art. Like, I've made, like, artwork using mediums that utilize artificial intelligence already. Sure. Um, so I think art is definitely going to be one of the main ones. Um, but I think just about everything else is relational. So, um, and by relational, I mean especially spiritual. So mm. robots will never be able to um, replace in any way, shape, or form, um, for instance, pastors or like those who are leading in relationship. Um, artificial intelligence will never be able to replace the role of a father in, in a family. 
Um, and so those that, those are kind of the main ones that I see. Do you, do you have more that you'd add to that list? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I would agree with you. I, I, I generally say, um, in a great book, if you haven't read it, uh, that I read before I had kids, was um, A Whole, W-H-O-L-E, New Mind, uh, by Daniel Pink. It's fantastic. I'll put it on the list. Yeah, Pink basically argues that anything that can be digitized and robot, robotized, I don't know what to win, uh, is will be. In, in the future you're describing because there are some things that are just like this is really simple I don't need to the two things that he was arguing can't be are which kind of goes in line with you one is creativity so anything that's originally creative so you just said AI, I made you know, art with an AI and and my response to that is cool it's an interesting tool uh, but for art to be real it must be meaningful which is what uh, the two things that Pink is trying to say is that ultimately anything that's really about meaning is the thing they can't do. They can't add meaning because they're only replicating what they've been told to do. Uh, and even if they tried, all it would be is remix of everything they'd already heard. So the two things he said were um, creativity and empathy. And empathy meaning anything that involves feeling for people, caring for people. He said pastors, that kind of thing. Because you, they don't do that well. They can only give rote responses. So even in the Turing test, most of the stuff that they're they're saying is just, well, this is what was programmed. When you say I'm sad, they say I'm sorry. Like they just say whatever, but they don't know what that means. And they don't know the nuances of that. So those two concepts of creativity and um, empathy became the two directions I started pushing when my children were growing up. How can I teach you empathy and creativity? And if you can't do these two things, we're in trouble. Because in the future, if you're just going to sit and punch numbers in, that can be replaced. You're just going to... So how do I reinforce creativity and try my best to help you develop empathy and engage the people around you? Because those things can't be taken out. So those are the two things I would say. But they go right along with what you're saying for sure. Most definitely. So so talk to me about that process, though, of creating with AI. You're creating art. All right. Fair enough. So um, AI art, like you said, it's very much just a conglomeration of data sets that's already been produced. Um, so what, what AI art allows you to do is create things that haven't been seen before by combining other mediums. Mm -hmm. So like the other day I made a, a, you know, this 1024 by 1024 pixel image of a guy who looks like he's from the Renaissance typing at a computer. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, holding a paintbrush. Sure. It it looks really cool. It's definitely nothing you've ever seen before because there are no... You know, da Vinci paintings of a guy sitting at a keyboard. Are you selling these NFTs now? Is that what no, you're doing? <laughs> they're not NFTs. They're just they're just digital artworks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd call them artworks. Digital artworks that are made utilizing mediums that utilize AI. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, sorry, what was your original question? Just talk to me about that process because oh, okay. because you're building something and it's kind of we have a tendency to think that the AI made it, right? But definitely. it didn't. So there's two, two levels at which the AI did not make it. First of all, the AI did not create itself. So it's never truly removed from the human experience. It must be, it's only, you know, an, an output that's created by human inputs. So human inputs starting with the code that, that makes up the artificial intelligence in the first place. And then second, it's, it's giving me an output based on the inputs that I give it. So I said, I want to see a man sitting at a desk in a renaissance style there was more to that but that's the basic gist of it and then here's you know four variations of the what i asked it for and i said oh no i don't like this hand so i'm gonna erase the hand and say okay in his left hand he's holding a a paintbrush but but when you're coding this in it's literally just typing the description yes 
and it's, so it's a normal language yeah. coding okay. essentially. Yeah. All right. And when you and when you type it all in, then you're basically saying then, as you see what it develops, you're just refining. Yes. Like I want left hand, not right hand. I want right. paintbrush, not that. And paintbrushes, I want art brush versus paintbrush because right. it gave you you know big six inch paintbrush exactly. to paint a no, wall. That's literally what happened. Yeah, yeah. And, and it'll keep doing that because it's trying to figure out uh, the description you're giving it. Yes. Is this what you're actually after? So at the end... So it's interpreting and compiling is what it's doing its best job at, and then you can be more or less specific. So, But at the end, it was still you who had to say, no, 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 that's not what I see, that that was in my head, exactly. until it gets there. And then you can basically say, okay, no, that's close to what I was thinking. Right. Robots cannot create ex nihilo, and that's why I say that it's a medium that utilizes artificial intelligence rather than being an art that's created by artificial intelligence because a, a, an AI cannot say, ah, yes, I have this creative idea that I want to you know, make reality and therefore I'm going to go and do it. Mm -hmm. that's, that's not within the capability of a computer. Yeah. Even, even if it's like a person says, okay, every 10 seconds you're going to crank out a new one of these things, it's still the human that said you're going to do this. It's right. not the, it's the, the robot cannot like have creativity because it does not have volition. Mm -hmm. So, so, but then if I'm thinking about this correctly, then it is limited by its understanding of the words that you use. Yes. Paintbrush is this. Uh, so that obviously means that you might not generally get to a perfect representation of what you were picturing. For instance, if you had really good skill with a, you know, an actual paintbrush or a pencil, you could say, no, no, that's exactly what was in my head. Now, every artist who's ever lived knows that's the hardest thing in the world to get right. Uh, I mean, even reading through Van Gogh's um, Dear Theo, he was constantly just upset about the fact that he couldn't get the color right. He couldn't get the, it's like, I'm close, but I'm just not there. Uh, so this isn't a problem that artists haven't had in the past, but now you're starting to get to, how do I refine this so that I can get to it? And, and which brings up to the next question, like the interface with it. And, and there's a whole bunch of stuff going on right now about how do we interface with uh, both technology and then ultimately AIs. Because right now all you're doing is just typing away a little paragraph and it's coming up with what it thinks. The next set might not look like that. So what do you think that, where that's going and maybe even some ideas? Oh, so this is cool. Okay, so if you're talking about like post, we're able to control hu like computers with our minds. Cause sure. Like that is, that is coming. Like that is, that is the future that will be here in five years or less. Yeah, I mean, I think you're going to go through haptics first. Yeah, definitely. You go through haptics, and then once you get through haptics, you're going to have to have some kind of yep. interface that is actually yeah. closer. Right. Um, so, I mean, eventually it will be like... A, like, I'm thinking of, of this in terms of, you know, how we access the Internet. There's just a very high latency between us and the information that we want, you know, let's say through a calculator. And so what these, these like, potential implants are doing is reducing that latency. So I have... A vision in my head of what I can see this photo being, right? And then there's a computer that's trying to interpret it, interpret what I'm saying, and give me a, a result. Mm -hmm. Eventually, like with with you know the connectivity of our brains to this medium, it, it's reducing the latency. So you're talking. So to be clear, we're kind of talking about things like uh, Elon Musk neural link, exactly, which essentially is a mesh that he's trying to put on your actual brain to be able to. Now, I have, I have a question for you, okay. and I want to know if you've thought this part through. I have a problem um, because I think of what you're saying, and what you're saying is true in the sense of that gap between the two and finding an interface that bridges the gap. And so if Neuralink is an actual bridge, uh, 
doesn't a bridge go both ways? Like my fundamental concern about Neuralink is not that it would be taking stuff from my mind to create something. It's that if the bridge goes one way, it probably goes the other. Can it add things in there that I may or may not want or I may or may not be able to control? Upload uh, and download. <laughs> it's likely possible. It's it's likely possible. I haven't um, given too much thought to that, but my initial reaction is like, yeah, that's almost definitely like a thing. And Kurtzwill in his, in his book, The Singularity is Near, talks about a similar idea um, where he was talking about the capability to be able to merge minds with like to experience the thought patterns of another person while still retaining your own identity. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's kind of the first thing that I thought of was like, yeah, OK, that would require a bridge to go mm -hmm. both ways. So I'm I'm thinking that almost certainly, yes, in the way that, you know, our technologies affect us and we affect them. Yes, it. it Almost certainly. Well, so, and, and there's people that are going to welcome part of that, too, right. because there's there's the uh, we'll just pick on one. But there's the Matrix. I just learned Kung Fu. Yes. Like, oh, you could teach me Kung Fu and teach the muscles in my because they're still working through your mind to get right. there. Like, oh, that sounds fun. My, my point, though, is like, yeah, but I have cookies that are trackers on all of my browsers. If you can plant one in my browser, can you plant one in my brain? It makes me want things or makes me go places or makes me or maybe not even so much. Uh, direct connection forcing overriding your will but more like just constant suggestion in di particular directions in which case you're going to have to really wrestle with it now, I'm not saying that's where we're going and I think there's always going to be that tension I will say uh, Kurzweil's had a tremendous influence on a bunch of science fiction and I think that's actually one of the things that science fiction helps us with like Ready Player One, some of those things just force the just options being able to out visualize in front. what is coming down the pipeline absolutely yeah. and, and I think that the reason that's crucial is because uh, we have this lag that ethics always lags technological development because the development's happening so fast, we haven't had time to think about it. So I actually think that science fiction often serves as a, uh, it serves a dual role. In one sense, it serves as a caution. If you get here, is that what you wanted? If you get to Ready Player One, the fascinating part to me though is it often serves as a uh, prophetic role in, hey, the communicators look like the early, on Star Trek, look like the early cell phones. And some of the discussions you're having about what happened in the Matrix are things that you can do now in a metaverse. So, like, there's always this projection, but there's also this, like, well, we projected it, but what if we could make that? What if we could do that? So there's this really interesting discussion with science fiction about, um, for instance, I just finished um, Snow Crash, uh, Neil Stevenson. And Stevenson's kind of playing off uh, uh, the kind of world that Ready Player One's in, but he's speculating, like, what would happen in that space if somebody started coming in and doing things to it because we weren't ready yet. Um, and so there's a ton of really interesting thought in that, but it's almost because our ethics are so far behind. What should we do, and is it a good thing? We already did it, so now how do we live with it after the fact? Science fiction has that capacity, and that's where Kurzweil has, a lot, I think, had a lot of both influence in some of the science fiction and also um, rejection of some of that because they're like, wait, 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 we don't know if we want this. This might not be good. So talk a little more about what you're, what you're thinking as you read Kurzweil and that concept. In, in reference to, like, art specifically? Yeah, or just about how uh, Kurzweil's seeing it as evolution and, like, where we're going and what's going to happen. Right. So we talked about a little bit about this um, before hopping on the podcast, so we'll fill everybody in. Um, <laughs> It really starts with kind of how you 
distinguish humanity, you know, in terms of like what, what constitutes a human being. So mm-hmm. body, mind, soul, spirit, heart, will, like what do those things make us human and how do we define those? Mm-hmm. Um, and so my understanding is that humans most certainly have a body, humans most certainly have a soul, um, and most certainly have a mind. And I'm saying saying soul and spirit are are relatively synonymous or kind of inclusive of one or the other. Okay. Um, but you can make, you know, sub distinctions with Sure, sure. Um, and so Curse Whale's opinion is obviously divorced from the gospel. Of course. Um, yes. Which means that we have to look at, at everything that he's writing with a biblical lens. Yep. Um, and so what he's getting at is that humans are not spiritual. Humans are, are physical entities. Correct. And he's also saying, applying the same to robots and thus like with a certain degree of digital connectivity, one can be the other and they can be the same. Sure. So a human can upload their being into the cloud. And if you just see your mind as electrical impulses, which, exactly. you know, is just crossing nerves from one spot to another, crossing you know, uh, brain matter, just transferring it around uh, electrically as they like to measure, uh, then why couldn't you turn those electrical impulses into data, which is then basically carried from one electrical place to another? Exactly. Period. If we're just very specific, you know, electrical off and on switches, like we can compile enough electrical on off and on switches to create another Pettit, to create another Rafa. Like that's, oh, that's what Lord, Kurzweil... Nobody, nobody wants another one. <laughs> I'm good. I'm, I, I, you, one of me is enough for me. Even. You and me are in the same boat. I think my family would say the same. But uh, <laughs> to be fair... With the Christian perspective, we're adding in another spiritual level, and that's that has nothing to do with electricity. That has nothing mm-hmm. to do with, um, you know, any physical component. And so, therefore, humans are are. What's the word I'm looking for? They're they're we're not monistic in our in our worldview. We have a dualist worldview of of what creates our metaphysic, mm-hmm. and it's that second part of you know the Christian metaphysic that cannot be uploaded, but that is still essential to the the being of a human, right? You cannot be a human without a soul. Yep. Um, and so when we look with a Christian perspective at, at Kurzweil's statements, you cannot turn a human into a robot. There's something there that cannot be understood by a robot or cannot be transferred to a robot. Yeah. And even, even a lot of the, um, a lot of the more popular, uh, media out there trying to describe this transfer has a tendency to point out that it either A, doesn't work fully, B, corrupts the, the individual as they're transferred, um, or C, transforms them into something else, uh, regardless. So whether you're talking about like Transcendence, the movie with Johnny Depp, uh, but even that sense of the, the power, uh, I would even argue things like The Invisible Man, like Hey, I, I can actually do something now and I'm capable of things, but that doesn't make me naturally a better person. Right. It's actually usually some kind of more negative outcome in most of the popular media to the point that we, we get to the point of saying, well, is this even a good idea to begin with? Um, and, and I think part of the, the fascinating part for me is that the state of the world has a tendency to serve as an impetus for how do we get out of our own head? Like, how do we get out of this body? Because this is going bad. And well, but if I didn't need air, well, then I don't need trees. If I didn't need, you know, water, then I don't need. Oh, okay, so this could be 
and we've talked about this before, but this could be our salvation moment. This could be the evolution that leads us past, helps us transcend what we're having problems with an earthly body. But at the same time, what you're saying right now is that we could, as we've always said, have a trade-off. We would lose something, and we'd probably lose our soul in the process. Right. Um, and, and I would argue that whatever you came out with on the other end, even if it was my, um, my responses in terms of, yeah, the AI knows he would say this next or he would you know, add this next. And, and it even if it, it could, you know, remix them to add some new thoughts in there, uh, it wouldn't be me. Right. That's exactly, I think, the, the theological like, implication of it is we, the Bible's clear. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So if we you know, divorce the body from the soul, the soul goes to heaven and the body, you know, decays. But, and what's left electrically is merely a replica of the human. And so, you know, we could have the most exact, the most perfect, um, you know, replica of Rafa yep. or Pettit. Photocopy of us. Exactly. Photocopy, exact photocopy of maybe our responses, our language, our inflection, intonation, like all of those things that, that seem or outwardly appear to be us can be, can be put into the cloud. But there will not be there, there's something missing there there's something missing from yeah yeah for sure but then that begs the question which by the way uh my friends over at the center for bioethics and human dignity at trinity do a great job discussing a lot of this on a regular basis but it begs the question where's the line because okay well what if i need a neural link to actually be able to do my job or what if i need in the future like and they're even showing commercials right now of people working in the metaverse together building prototypes in you know basically space that they can see inside the metaverse and they can all share that space and work on it very tony stark iron man looking stuff um that's just the way it, we have to work i mean that's where things are going to go and that's okay so the question that they're asking in bioethics is where's the line where's the line where we've crossed over because i mean you even said something earlier about like i'm willing to have uh some almost like cyborg things that help me get to so the question is how far do you think you would go with it being a cyborg uh, and, and at what point have you crossed the line to say, uh, yeah, I don't think I go past that. Right. So I, I like to think of this in terms of <clears throat> there's there's two things I like to think of. So the first is is prosthetics. So and the second. Yeah, no, I get you. Hold on here. The, the prosthetic thing, to be clear, uh, is a question. And, and, and let me and while you're thinking of that next one. Um, my friends there at and some of the people I've talked to that have been scholars in this area will say um, prosthetics, though, typically tend to restore what was broken in the fall. And so restorative things, for instance, they would probably make a case that uh, you see those people that have the blades when they the, the professional runners with the blades. And apparently, supposedly some of them can run faster than humans yes. because that's so the question is, did I try to repair something that Adam lost or did I try to exceed in which case I move past what humans could do right and prosthetics <clears throat> kind of up to this point until you get to those blades have always been a you lost your arm here's a claw here's a hand here's something that'll work what happens when those are better you got the arm from the Terminator that can change shape and do all kinds of weird stuff like what happens when those are better than this is that crossing a line so what was the other one you remember so what I was thinking of in terms of prosthetics is like, okay, what prosthetically constitutes a human? Is a person who's missing, you know, both legs, even from the hip, still a human? Yes. What if they're 
missing their you know physical heart what if it's it, it's been replaced with a prosthetic sure heart? they're still a human and so i think that it's anything that you could remove um like physically and i'm not saying this is optimal but i'm saying that like for the sake of the argument like if you could remove the arms and legs and even some of the internal organs from a human and them still be human then that is what but how would we know that before without doing it is the right. question. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the idea is like you're going to have to go too far <laughs> in order gonna, to know. We're going to have to you're going to do now you're talking about Frankenstein. This is You're like what, piecing the, things together and then going, "Oh shoot, now my my and that's and that ultimately this is where I we think, think is, the Lordford secular society that will eventually do this, this so we don't have to yeah, exactly. Let's not do it. Um but but all right, so let's make it personal. How far would you go? How far would I go? I would most certainly get a computer chip in my brain. For sure. Yeah, Happily. just to interface. Yeah, I don't. Because there's a few the people who would person. probably be like, "Whoa, dude, that yeah. seems like a long way out." Here's the deal: is like you said, you mentioned cyborgs earlier. Yeah. I'd argue we already are. We're just high latency cyborgs. We interface with our phones all the time. I'm just decreasing the, the latency. I'm not using my thumbs. I'm using my brain to type into the internet. Okay. Um, and so I haven't considered like all of the possibilities, like of in what ways there are to interface with mm -hmm. the internet or interface with other people or interface with other technologies. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I feel very comfortable like giving my brain access to the internet. And like, you know, obviously we're gonna have to take this with, you know, the understanding that if all technologies have affordances and vices, sure. like, you're going to need boundaries to like accompany those. Yep. And so I'm not saying this, oh yeah, I'm just gonna give my brain free access to the internet all the time, 100%. Yeah. And vice versa. Right, because the internet could now get to your brain. That's exactly. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I feel, I feel comfortable in, in the same ways that I interface with my phone. Like if, if I, a chip could completely replace my phone happily. Yeah. And there's some, there's an interesting, um, I think it was a more recent total recall where they literally implanted the phone. We'll call it a phone. Was it almost not a mobile device, but it was like a, a thing that they put into your, um, like around underneath your thumb and your index finger and then around into your palm and it basically allowed you to just hold your hand up and the screen projected between your thumb and your forefinger so you could actually see the person you were talking to and then if you wanted which was a fascinating little play you could actually just stick it up on a window and then the person basically became a screen you were talking to and i'm like okay that's interesting um so you're saying you're willing to break the um uh the gap that would mean in putting it in now i i'm not saying and to be clear some people are probably freaking out right now going wait a second you're <laughs> gonna put stuff in your let, let's be super clear right now um number one uh if you, you have a grandpa or a grandma who has a pacemaker they already did that they already have something in their body that actually does some of this so your revulsion at it in the future is this sense of it's a new technology it's going to kill us all well that's just douglas adams joke about you know anything new after you're over the age of 30 is just dangerous and scary we don't want to do that that sounds bad this is an extended extended view of the implants that that some Parkinson's patients receive. Sure, it's like it's it's electrical impulses that are being sent to your brain. This is just much more complex. Right, and we already use uh, uh, integrated uh, cochlear implants in people that are going deaf. We already use uh, a bunch of other. I mean, there's tons of other stuff. And there's, even if you don't lose your legs and get those blades, I don't know how many people I know that currently have like actual technological hips that were made and custom designed for them to do at least what we can replace. Now, those aren't perfect, 
but where's and that's what that's what those bioethicists are wrestling with where's the line like at what point are we saying eh, maybe we shouldn't do that right yeah i i think it's anytime you try start trying to replace the brain is where i like replace the brain like take the brain out get rid of it and put something else in that's where i start getting a little like ah i don't know about that but if you're going to add to my brain sure that's cool okay so, yeah, so i think that's where my you're, you're saying that the that the reduction would be a problem but not yes. the addition yes um and and for me uh i would probably say personally uh if i can't step out of it i'm not sure i want i mean unless it's going to kill me like i, I get the heart thing like hey if we got to have a pacemaker because you're not your heart's not going to work i get that but i i, I want to i'd rather put something on uh, and i know there's a new um prime video series out right now that has something i haven't seen it but uh, something where they're basically putting on like a thing on their head, kind of like Cerebro from the X-Men. You put something on your head and it, it connects with your brain, but I don't need to put it in. Mm. That's probably the thing for me is I don't know that I want anything in because I'm not sure what that'll do. I, I'm also thinking, by the way, as commentary is um, uh, Logan from the uh, Wolverine movie where he basically isn't, it's not helping him. It's actually kind of starting to mess with him. Right. Uh, so to your point, anything that I'm doing that direction is I'm not going first. I, yeah, I don't. I agree I, with that. I'm not going to be the first person, but I might be the second. Yeah. yeah okay. Well, I might be the second. I'm going to be further back in the line. I'm, not, I'm not doing this. Would uh, you feel comfortable, like if if there were, you know, let's say several implants in your head, but they're they're magnetically able to connect to something external, and you can pull the external thing off of your brain? I think as long as I could, I think so. Here's here's actually a thing I'm actually been thinking a lot about lately, is um, humans tend to wrestle. Uh, more deeply because of how complex things are when you talk about convergence. So uh, when, and I was even thinking like, that's where the problem seemed to arise for us was we knew how to engage. So let's go back to, you know, 2000s. Uh, and I had a cell phone. Uh, but my cell phone was still more like the phone in my house than it was like the phone that you own or I own now. Uh, it only changed when convergence took place. When you came up with an iPhone that had, because I had a music player and I had a phone and I had a calendar and I had all these other things, uh, but they weren't all in one thing. Right. So when I brought them in the in the concept of convergence, it's the idea that these things all come together into one thing. Um, that, that, because in essence, the path that you're walking is to take the convergence that's happened in a mobile device and essentially converge it into a person. Yes. Which means now there's no gap. So the question is, as that will be a tricky one of maintaining, which is why you're trying to wrestle with that now. Uh, how do I identify what makes me human? Because now there is no device. Now there is only me with the stuff that's in me. Um, I think the key for me is my capacity to remove whatever I'm doing so that I could set it aside to say, I'm doing this without uh, means that I probably wouldn't go in full implants. I mean, I don't know what you're going to, but I do think there's some really interesting things there that are possible. Um, and that's why I'm interested to see, because I think this next series will be haptics, I'm interested to see how we respond to that uh, and, and what that shapes in us in terms of reactions. Like, I'm wearing gloves that do this. Or uh, I'm fascinated by the glasses thing because the capacity to turn that on and off, but my glasses still come off. I can still take them off. I can still live without them if I had to. So that's the part where... Um, the question keeps coming back to, is this restorative or is this um, an enhancement beyond what a human's capable of? Because what I am concerned about is 
Um, we have a level of cognition that we're aware of and we can manage, and we know our brains can go faster than they do. But what does it do to my state of mind if the computer that I'm connected to is pushing things through faster than my brain has been used to going or is capable of going? And how will I know that? And that's why I'm saying I'm not going first. Like, I don't need my brain to turn into a piece of popcorn that just popped and now I can't get it back. Like, this isn't going to work. But the question for me is, but as the technology speed up and some of them, how do I then figure out ways as the predator of technology and not its prey? How do I figure out ways to uh, be able to remove myself when I need to? Un unless, like, again, pacemaker is a trickier concept because it's like I can't pull that thing out. But, but I was even, you know, joking at one point about the fact that um, several years ago, the vice president of the United States had a pacemaker and it was Wi-Fi connected. And I was like, so you could kill, and I think there were a couple of interesting uh, fiction stories out there about killing someone with just breaking, hacking their Wi-Fi code, you could speed their heart up, they'd die and it'd look natural. You couldn't stop it. So it's kind of like, okay, but the trade-off is I exposed myself in ways that I wasn't exposed before. Nobody's hacking my heart with a computer but until the moment I put it in there. So that's the part for me where I'm kind of like, I'd like to be able to stay at a space where I could remove the technology and stand apart from it to be able to tell myself it from that. But I recognize that there may be, hey, there's there's consequences to that even for me. Like at some point that may be I'm the monk who's still living in the real world and the rest of you are all stuck in Ready Player One all day having a great time, but I'm I'm not there with you. So that's the question of how far are you willing to go? Right. And um, Chris Will in his book like has several dialogues between um, this girl Molly and like several iterations of her. So there's Molly from 2004. There's Molly from 2040 and 2104. Mm. And Molly from 2104 like humanoid but still like has reached this level of transcendence where she is like merged with the computers like she's one with the technology yep. um and it, it's interesting hearing you say that and like i'm replaying these dialogues in my head of like okay cool i wonder what you know 2040 jeremy pettit will think yeah 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 well and knowing that as it goes along like like douglas adams likes to say like at some point it's you know, it's all going to destroy the world until it's been around for 10 years, and then everything's okay. We get used to it. Yes. Um, and, and we probably don't even talk much about some of that stuff anymore. I mean, the conversations that we're still even having about mobile devices seems kind of foolish. Like, yeah, everybody's got one. What's your point? Right. Um, the, the key, though, for me, and, and I think you're, you were alluding to earlier when you're talking about the difference between what can be uh, engaged and kept and what, in terms of the soul and the spirit, can't be. Uh, and, and that's to acknowledge, and this is that there is a, a form of religion in what Kurzweil is talking about because he sees this as our next evolution, as a step toward transcendence. And in essence, to be clear, because technology just keeps getting upgraded, and a lane, a pathway toward immortality. Because my mind and, and the things that I upload can just keep living on in future iterations. It's not like, oh, that data went away and it's gone. I can just keep upgrading it. Uh, in which case, um, the next uh, question that I always wrestle with here is, isn't that basically just technological Dracula? Like, you're literally just staying alive forever and can't die. I suppose you could. But, um, and you're feeding off the energy of other things and people. It would be, yes, but thankfully we're Christians and thankfully we have souls. And, like, even in Genesis 1, like, you see, like, God saying, like, you will die is even an act of grace. Like, you will you will not live forever in, this, in this fallen state. Like, you will eventually leave 
the brokenness of this world. Yeah. And in the same way, it still applies to technology. It's like, no, we're, we're not fated to live in a broken world immortally. Because robots cannot um, embody the soul. Like, there is, no other, there is no other vessel of the soul other than the human body. Like, we as humans, and especially we as Christians, don't have to fear, like, the removal of, of our our bodies like we don't have to fear that that idea of transcendence because like ultimately if our if our soul quote unquote transcends our body like with the understanding that our bodies are good and necessary and like um the the closest to transcendence we get is is being with the lord for eternity sure and so for that reason i'm not fearful of of like people even pursuing that because it won't work yeah and what i what i'm the reason I guess I'm wrestling with this is because, um, so I, I'd watched Blade Runner a long time ago and I just finished Do Android's Dream of Electric Sheep, which is the, the basis story for it. Um, and what's I need fast- a list of all these movies you're watching. <laughs> well, yeah, I just recorded them all Sweet. so you can, uh, but in that, in that book, what was fascinating to me was that, and, and even in Blade Runner, uh, cause I just watched it again with my son. Um, what was fascinating was one of the main characters, uh, was a robot and didn't know because they had so the question is okay so what if you could and I'm just hypothetical playing off what you're saying uh, I die they record a version of me would that version of me know that I'm not me because I have all my memories and just like those Nexus 6 robots I think they were in Blade Runner they didn't know they weren't people they this is the new Blade were. Runner, the 2048, right? No, no, no. This is the old one. Oh. This is the okay. old one. The new one plays off that old one. Okay, but okay. That original one, that was part of what they were wrestling with. And and by the way, the Android Dream of Electric Sheep's written in like the, I think the 50s. So like he's wrestling with like, what does this do and look like? And that concept of like, but would that replicant, uh, that, that transfer of whatever it knew about me carrying on, would it know that it wasn't me? Or would it still think it was me? And now you've got two... Like, oh, no, I'm dead and in heaven, and that thing's still running around thinking it's me. It's now almost like uh, my surrogate or something. Like This is some weird uh, clone without a soul. Right. So then I get, like, Battle Planet, Terminator Robot World. Like, that gets a little strange. But, uh, yeah, I, I think personally um, a, a robot version of me without my soul would just be annoying as all get out. <laughs> like, I, I don't even want to meet that thing. Like, I'm sure, though. And I wouldn't like it. Right. Definitely. Now I see what you're saying there, and I, I'm sure there will be some sort of like scary things that happen with like the rise of AI. I mean, we discovered nuclear energy, and one of the first things we do is like drop two very, very large nuclear warheads yeah. on planet Earth. So I'm sure that there will be some like catastrophic event with AI at some point, but I'm not fearful of like that event for the in terms of the future of humanity. Like I think that. Um, like because of the power of the gospel, like literally because the darkness has not understood the light and because the word of God will not return void that, and because of like the exponential returns like that we just see spiritually because the church of Christ is growing. Um, I don't have like a fear of what that day will look like. Like I think that artificial intelligence is just the next step in the progression of of technology and even the convergence of of humanity and technology as it relates to the internet and in other ways yeah and, and i i think that the caution 
in this whole conversation is that like we've talked about multiple times in this, uh, two cautions. One is uh, what story are we living out of? Is you're assuming that your conversation you're thinking is living out a story of, uh, uh, you know, redemption history that God is redeeming, redeeming the world. Uh, Kurzweil is living out of a very different story. He's living out of an evolutionary story that says the next evolution of man would obviously be technological, not from going from, you know, uh, fish to monkeys to humans, but from now humans to uh, robots or or some other technological form that may transcend what we are at the moment. So those two stories, that's the first caution. Which story am I living out of as I'm starting to tell this? Um, Because uh, a quote that I've been wrestling with recently from a Japanese theologian, just basically to paraphrase him, said, uh, we need to practice technology not worship technology. Is this the liturgy? Oh, no, not liturgies. What's this guy's name? I know who you're talking about. Uh, it was in uh, Three Mile an Hour God, uh, Kosuke Koyama. Um, that notion of practicing it, okay, so there's still tools, not worshiping it. No, this is our salvation, and this is our way toward immortality. Um, and then the second one is the wrestling with, um, are the trade-offs that are happening as we make these choices clear? Because they tend to be fairly opaque and we don't really know, hey, we're going to do this and we're going to make some. That's I mean, that's the heart of the Frankenstein story is he gets a new technology. He makes something and then he doesn't really see until after it's over. Oh, no, that did not go like and that had all these unintended consequences. But you can't project all of them. I get that. But as much as possible, how do we make these decisions less opaque and more clear for each person to say, I see the trade off. For instance, uh, the pacemaker is really easy one. I see the trade-off. I don't have a heart that works and I'm going to die. Okay, but if you get this thing, you can still live, you can still engage in a relationship, it still works. Great. Um, If it's, hey, I can't actually do the parts of my job I need to do. Okay, I understand. There's probably some technological affordances to some of that, but there's also a sense of like, where is the line? And and I think the, the key for me is not dictating the line, but acknowledging that it exists. There is a line here. We should probably keep it in mind so that we don't keep punting it down the field further and further and go, oh, it's fine that, oh, that's fine that, oh, this, like, where's the part where we got to say, hey, we're going to stop here? Not so that we can be digital Amish, but so that we can actually say, hey, here's where my boundaries are and here's the things that I believe in are true based out of my beliefs, based out of my theology, based out of the story that I'm trying to tell, like you're talking about, how do I know where I'm supposed to stop? And I think that's the question that a lot of people even listening right now need to wrestle with is even with the technology that you currently have, which does have latency, I totally agree, it's still separated. Where's the line? Where's the line on which you're willing to allow this technology to do and not do? And are you crossing it already? And is it really what you want? That makes sense? Yeah, definitely. Any closing thoughts? Practical things you've been trying based on this? I think, yes, having practices to remove ourselves from technologies is so important. Like. Just being knowing, knowing where, or at least exploring where that line is. Yeah, that's that's just hugely important. And 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 that ability, I would say, even if you said we we're going to implant something, the ability to turn it off yes. still gives me the option to remove myself from it and say, "Hey, I can still be me and not worry about this." Right. Robin, this has been a great conversation, man. Thank you so much for Good. coming and hanging out. I love uh, talking about all this, and I'm I'm excited to see where you go. I, if you, you come in and looking like, you know, Cyborg from the Justice League, I'm going to be like, okay, might be a little too far, but okay, that's fine. He plays better I'll video games. Than, okay, you can, you can do that, uh, and we'll see if I take it. But, all right. <laughs> so uh, thank you for hanging out with us at Alol's Cafe today. And uh, if you have any questions, as always, you can send it to 
profpettit at gmail.com. P-R-O-F-P-E-T-T-I-T-T. That's four T's. Yes, it's correct. At gmail.com. Uh, I, lo- I love hearing questions and getting stuff from people. So if you have any more questions, we've got upcoming episodes. We may be dealing with some of those. But otherwise, thank you so much for joining us, and we look forward to hanging out with you again soon. <laughs>